Hello, my fellow historians. Welcome back to our recurring Saturday live streams at a time of day that we hope reaches a lot of different people. I know it's hard, a lot of times kind of hard for people who are either on the West Coast of the U.S. or in Europe to make some of our time. So we try to mix it up a little bit by doing different days. So hopefully there's a nice um, group of people here today. We're excited to talk to you all. We've got a fun topic planned. Usually we have mean groups of people. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of thing we try to cultivate around here. <laughs> <laughs> we want to have the cruelest sub-fandom within the genre, right? <laughs> that's how we do it. So for the most part, the story meaning A Song of Ice and Fire, the story begins at Winterfell. And we're introduced to the Crips in Ned's first chapter. Robert's like straight for the Crips. He's like, hey, everybody, good to see you. Now let's go to the Crypts. Bran takes us on a tour around the old parts of the castle right away, or almost right away, looking down on the new parts of the castle while exploring the old and seeing people active and doing their thing. We see the godswood, we see the pools, we hear about the hot water piping through the walls. Lots of other fun details are spread out amongst the early chapters. But they also start leaving right away, right? Ned and uh, Sansa and, Br and Arya leave, and they plan on taking Bran with them. And, of course, Jon heads to the Wall. They say there must always be a Stark in Winterfell, and that's both a concept in the story, like in-world, and something that has some historical significance, as well as, um, well, there's a time when there are no Starks in Winterfell, which is what we're here to talk about today. At the end of Clash of Kings, there's no Starks in Winterfell. Bran and Rickon, you know, they just leave. Their, their Winterfell's been burned, partly destroyed. They managed to, to hide in the crypts. So in this episode, we're going to look at the past that led the Starks away from Winterfell, ending with Bran and Rickon, starting with uh, Sansa and Arya. And uh, mostly we're focusing on the kids here. Um, and uh, so we're going to look at the similarities in their journeys and, and how they deal with being hunted and commoditized and, you know, valued for their claim, which is kind of what I mean by commoditized or both, right? And all the different things they have to do, like changing their identity or pretending to be someone they're not. But anyway, so we'll get into all of that. I think it's going to be a really fun topic. And well, it's good to have you back, Sean. Good to be this, back. this topic was your idea. <clears throat> And you're doing your uh, your read, and you're right at the uh, you're kind of early in a storm of swords. This is right around the time where this is uh, <clears throat> very um, just happening. Yep. Uh, so give us a few thoughts on uh, where you're at. I'm uh, a few chapters into the third book, and um, it's still kind of crossing. I remember there was even a foreword. George kind of reminds the audience, like, "Hey, timing." Some chapters last three weeks, some last three hours, you right, know, right, so yeah. sometimes it's not exactly perfectly chronological. So there's some things happening in the beginning of the third book that are chronologically before the end of the second book, you know, right, right, yeah. a little bit of a, a blur. And there was a big gap between the second and third books, too. So I can see why he might need kind of like if your TV show after a year, there's like a previously on last season, whatever, you know. True. That's good. Point. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, but that's, you know, I even wonder how much how much George had it worked out in his mind. If that was like, I'm going to make them all leave Winterfell. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wonder if that was like a plan from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, I think it was. Well, you got, I mean, based on the original, his original plans, it seemed like, because uh, he also had planned for Winterfell to be burned in the original. It would be some, it was going to be uh, Tyrion who did it, though. So, you know, 
kind of uh, a little bit of change from what he originally planned. Ramsey yeah. took that role on. Certainly there can be a lot of uh, changes in his plans as he goes, you know. Um, yeah. Um, but it's uh, also clearly there's a focus on the Starks and, and the kids, you know, that's uh, they're all except for Rob or POVs in the beginning. Yeah. And, um, and it seems... It wouldn't be an exciting story if they all just stayed there. You know what yeah. I mean? They got to go off on adventures. <laughs> and, uh, and in fact, that was one thing that was really like stood out in my mind, particularly how much Arya chapters just seemed like D&D adventures. She's like, <laughs> yeah. all right, we got to get a horse and a dagger and a map and let's go on a, you know, head out, you know. Um, and uh, They're not exactly sure where they're going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's something I, I remember thinking a long time ago, like not quite in terms of like them all leaving Winterfell, but in terms of how the Stark kids all had these naive ideas about what they wanted and on different levels kind of got it and it wasn't really what they thought. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, a lot of what they wanted kind of included leaving Winterfell. You know yeah. what I mean? Arya didn't specifically actively want to leave Winterfell, but, you know, she didn't want to just be a lady knitting dresses. You know, she definitely she, didn't want to do that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she wanted to go off and with a sword and a bow and arrow like yeah. her brothers, you know, and she's probably not going to stay at home for that, right? Yeah, when they're traveling uh, south, she's off, like, exploring all the different places. Sansa was riding and, you know, kind of staying close, but Arya was out. There's kind of a contrast there, yeah. And uh, my thoughts here might be, might bounce around a little bit, but... Uh, you know, John wanted to go to the wall again. Very yeah. naive. You know, yeah. he doesn't even know what it means to go to the wall. Yeah. You know, when when I was, I'm ready to go to the wall. Yeah, when I was 18, graduated high school, joined the army. I didn't yeah. really understand stand what that meant at that age. You know. Yeah. Um. Uh. It's it's hard to be too judgmental. You know. In fact, Sansa takes a lot of negative press for what she did as a 13 year old girl. You know, like. I know as an adult man exactly what I would have done with all the hindsight <laughs> and knowledge about all the other timelines and characters. I can't believe she messed it up, you know? Uh, yeah, and as, as you know, one of the things we pointed out during at the beginning of our reroute is how much John is, is just as arrogant as Sansa about a lot of things. Just mm -hmm. he's doesn't have quite the level of privilege she has, but still way more than almost everybody else and yeah. uh, how similar they are early on. She, a lot of times people try to present her as like this whiny little girl. And John's kind of whiny too. Arya's kind of whiny too. Mm, They're yeah. all a little bit spoiled. They're, kids. They're all a little yeah. bit naive. They're all a little bit self-centered or whatever. Um, I don't mean to be too judgmental. It's not not them, kids in general. Yeah, you know? that's normal. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. You're not, you're not criticizing. You're calling them kind of normal in a sense. Right. Yeah. And even you can also have elements of naivete or self-centeredness and still be bold or kind or yeah it's true yeah i mean then that's the that's kind of the essence of how george likes to write characters they're not all they're not all perfect they're not all good guys all the time they're yeah. mostly good guys and there are people who are you know there's the grayness of everyone but sansa wants to be a princess she wants to go marry the prince well she's not staying in winterfell for that yeah that's true uh, can't, it's hard to do that there bran i feel like it maybe least actively wanted to leave you know, uh, he was excited to go. He wanted to, you know, meet the King's Guard and but, see all those knights. But yeah, but he's not even really old enough to be bored with home yet, yeah. right? And he's still climbing around the walls. Mm -hmm. And Rickon doesn't have any kind of agency or desire. Yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't. Or if he does, we don't yeah, see. Yeah, we don't. Too young to really. He, he was not happy that everybody left, but yeah. he's too young to be a POV or anything like that. Yeah. Now Rob does not want to leave, right? He, if he's going to follow in his father's footsteps. Now it's also hard to know what Rob really wants. Like we don't get his POV. Right. A, 
and B, he more so than the other characters is being pruned for a certain position. Yeah. Like, I guess maybe Sansa is on par with him for like whatever she sense. might have yeah. really wanted. She's just not going to get, she's being set up for something. She kind of wanted what yeah. they wanted for her. She kind of, that's why she's kind of like the good girl in a lot of ways. Yeah. Is Cause she's, she wants already the thing she wants or what her family wanted her to right. do in the first place. But would she still want those if she wasn't raised? Probably. Thinking maybe that was not. what she's supposed maybe to not. do. Yeah. Like know? Arya was raised to want that and she yeah. didn't. So she's, yeah, she's the black sheep in that sense. And I feel like the other characters all did have to kind of, change who they were like you said once yeah. they do leave and things aren't happening like they want whether they have to like actually change some piece of their character or pretend to be something different yes rob doesn't yeah he sort right? of does it's more like he's supposed to marry the fray girl yeah. he's like no i'm gonna do what i want to do i'm yeah. not gonna conform or adjust to the world around me and or in a sense he does he sort of kind of does conform in one way and doesn't in another you yeah. know what i mean like he conforms to his sense of honor or her sense of honor but he doesn't conform to the importance of maintaining these commitments that you make in front of everybody yeah. like that yeah. yeah so it's kind of a yeah which is when he chose to be himself it, it we became a problem <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's another argument i make defending sansa is that you know everyone else has a horse and a sword and they're running around getting revenge and you know that maybe they're not exactly what they wanted or not exactly happy but they're not literal prisoners right, like Sansa, right. you know? Yeah. And so I, I I like to give her a little extra credit for managing her position. Um, so that's, let's, let me jump in here and uh, just take care of a few other bits before we go any farther. This, uh, I think this is a really good start to an, an idea of what we're going to be talking about. But a couple of other bits we want to announce before we get too deep in here. Uh, thanks to the patrons who make our show possible. Thanks to Jeff Gnarly, the long snapper, History of Westeros' first sword. And Talenis the Talon, King of Gagasos, Rider of Talarius, the Red Dragon with Scales, Horns, and Talons of Midnight Black. We have a giveaway that we're doing in this episode. We'll be uh, uh, collecting emails from folks who are going to Ball at the Wall. If you will want to go to Ball at the Wall, if you're planning on going or if you're on the fence, and if a free ticket would help you, well, that's what we're doing. We're giving away a free ticket to Ball at the Wall. It's Nashville, October 26th. And it's kind of a, basically it's a Game of Thrones costume ball. It's kind of what it sounds like. Although it won't be as cold as a ball at the wall would be. This is mm -hmm. uh, Nashville. It won't, be, it won't be freezing cold like the wall is. So we'll be there. Uh, Sean, unfortunately, won't be. But Ashay and I will be there. And it should be a lot of fun. There will also be uh, Sam Coleman, a.k.a. Young Hodor, uh, Triple Crown Cosplay, Azora Hype, and some other cool people as well. A lot to, of the uh, Con of Thrones folks. To, oh, to be clear, how weird. <laughs> it's not working at all? Oh, okay. Well, Shea's microphone is not working. In that case, then yeah. I will continue. Uh, so what you do is email history giveaway at gmail.com if you want to go to Ball at the Wall. And we will announce the winner after the mid-roll. So email right now. This is only available to people watching this live. <clears throat> also want to announce that Ashea will be on... I know that, nerd. That's tomorrow, Sunday, uh, as in Sunday the 27th, I believe that would be. And that is going to be uh, a Shea on, uh, I'm sorry. It's the 29th. 29th, yeah, yeah 29th. Living in a past. Yeah, I'm, I'm adding, I subtracted a day instead of adding a day. That is Stephen Stark's channel. Um, I know that nerd is a really wonderful name for a channel. <laughs> it's uh, He does interviews and... 
Uh, Shea is going to be his interview uh, interviewee this time around, so that should be really cool. You can send questions in to Stephen to ask Shea. He also sent us a super chat that is Stephen Stark. He said, I wish I could stay, but I'm playing D&D right now. I'll be watching after we finish. Yes. Shea is the best. Indeed, she is. Even when she, even when her microphone isn't working properly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thanks for that, Stephen, and um, enjoy your D and D game. I know a lot of our listeners are fans slash players of D and D. I don't play right now, but I played when I was really young. I've thought about getting back into it, but I haven't. Do people play D and D up at the game store that you uh, manage? Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, little uh, anecdote. I've I've taken note recently i think there's like a new wave of D, &D players because Seems of uh, like stranger it. things oh yeah yeah like it clicked in my mind there's like one table playing D, &D that were looked like pretty much around 40-ish year olds yeah and another table playing D, &D that looked like around 16-ish year olds <laughs> and i bet i know one group used to play yes. when they were 16 yes. and one group started playing because of stranger things and... <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah it seems to be very it's this really popular these days in general it's cool i like i like how big it's gotten there's a lot of D, &D podcasts out there which uh, even my sister has one. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people are into that. It's cool. So, um, I, I, of course, you have you're aware of a lot of what happens in the books, even things that you haven't read. We're not we're not going to be too specific to you know we don't want to spoil you any more than you already are. But you know, at the end of at the end of A Dance with Dragons, there still aren't any Starks in Winterfell. That's this the point that things are at. What? Yeah, right. I can't believe you're spoiling it. <laughs> yeah. So and and there are no chapters. At Winterfell, POV chapters at all in Winterfell in A Storm of Swords or A Feast for Crows, which is something I think a lot of people didn't realize. There's lots of those chapters in Game of Thrones and Clash of Kings, and then there's a bunch in A Dance with Dragons, but none in A Feast for Crows or A Storm of Swords. Kind of neat, right? But um, <clears throat> no, so in the show, we uh, one thing we can do for fun is compare a few things to the show and guess maybe what we think might happen. Uh, I guess you could say John and Sansa returned to Winterfell kind of at the same time. Like they beat Ramsay at the Battle of the Bastards on the mm -hmm. show, and then they go back kind of like, hey, we're back to Winterfell. So one thing I'm wondering is, is that will, you know, will it go that way in the book? Since, you know, we, I know as much as you do as far as that goes, even though you haven't read A Dance with Dragons, even uh, that, that, isn't, that plot line hasn't advanced to that point yet. So we don't, really, we don't know which Starks will get back into Winterfell. Presumably they will. <laughs> Maybe they won't. That, yeah. that would be quite yeah. a twist. No, uh, it's a pretty safe assumption that they will, but it could be a lot different, you know, because of course the fake the fake Arya uh, in the show is real Sansa, right? So that's one big difference. Um, Maybe it won't be Sansa, but maybe it still will be. You know, she could just come north with the Vale army. That's entirely plausible for the books. Um, so we want to, I guess you could actually say, technically Rickon gets to go back to Winterfell before Sansa and Jon. Yeah. But that's not really. <laughs> yeah. And must always be a Stark Winterfell. Get in a dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a hostile return. So we're not really, we're, we're, we're talking about a friendly Winterfell. Uh, so that's, a, that's an interesting question is uh, I'd love for people to weigh in in the chat with what you think will happen, if anything different or not. If you think it'll be pretty similar if you guys think uh, Rickon will have a similar fate, curious about all that. But for now, what I want to get into is these, these the, the main thrust of at least the first half of this podcast will be uh, questions of identity. Um, like you said, they had things they wanted to be, but then there's kind of what you are and what you want to be aren't always the same thing. And it's, you know, like you said, it's something that all young people do. They kind of, they have dreams, but they also figure out who they are. You know, you kind of learn 
your capabilities, what you like and what you don't like. You may get this idea that you want to do something with your life and then realize, hey, I don't like this after all. Where in, in a setting like this, sometimes you don't get to change your mind. Like John, I mean, the, he took the black, like the, that line from Jamie is not in the books, but it's pretty, pretty on point when he says, oh, and if you don't like it, it's only for life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You know>? It's <laughs> like, ouch, damn, that's cold. But he's right. I mean, that is, they wanted this to sink that point in and it's pretty, pretty true. So, and that's a thing like you brought up joining the army. When you join the army, it's not, well, at least not in the U.S. It's not forever. It was what? It was a two-year, four-year hitch? Four years for me. Yeah. Okay. And But John, he's in the Night's Watch for life. He didn't get to realize he had made a mistake as a kid and, and, and uh, you know, undo that. <laughs> so, um, like you said, also, there's a lot of pretending of, of being something they're not or being someone they're not, right? For example, uh Sansa, like you said, she can't, she has to be there. She's sort of like a, in the old gilded cage scenario where Mm -hmm. you're, you're a prisoner, you're treated, kind of treated well. She's not treated well, Mm -hmm. but she's not treated like someone who's actually a captive inside a jail cell. She's treated like the, you know, a little bird, so to speak. And uh, she has to play along pretending that she likes Joffrey or that she likes Cersei or that her family's traitors. And, and of course, later you'll get to that point in the books. And of course, in the, it's maybe, maybe pretty similar in the show that she becomes Elaine, but she still worries constantly about being recognized, which is a big contrast to Arya who constantly changes her identity, even before becoming a faceless person. Um, like imagine Sansa trying to pretend to be a boy. I just would never, wouldn't work, right? Yeah. Like just for physical characteristics, she couldn't pull that off. Whereas Arya, yeah, easily cut her hair off, and yeah. yeah, there you go. It, it works out. Even, even well, when she cut her hair, still a few people reckon, thought she was a girl, but but she was able to pass. You yeah. Know? So let's start with that. that since they were uh, together a lot and shown as a contrast, the story starts off with them as kind of opposites. You know. You've got the um, the girl who's very courtly and likes to, you know, dress up and wants to be a princess versus the the tomboy uh, who wants to learn to fight and all that stuff. So let's start there. Uh, Sansa is your one of your favorite characters in in the show. Is that is it kind of similar in the books? Um, it is, but it's hard to remove, you know, my my perspective of having seen the show. Uh, yeah, for example. The, the, the moment in the show that that really like made me okay that's it she's my favorite now was when she kind of needled Joffrey a little bit she's like Will we be riding in the vanguard you know <laughs> <laughs> and, and, oh, of, of course you'll be riding in the vanguard <laughs> you know like that moment was so perfect and uh, that scene happened in the book but it wasn't it didn't go down quite the same way but in my mind it did Does that makes sense she was still needling him the same way in the book as she had in the show um so it, I, I would still say she's my favorite, but I, but I know I might be. I don't know if I would have still picked her as my favorite if I had just read the books and not seen the show. Okay. I, I think I probably would have eventually at least, you know, but, um, um, but it is certainly like reading the books haven't made me like her less. Okay. Right on. Yeah. 
What are what are a couple maybe a couple things that that you detect are a little different from her? I mean, obviously there's some stra some straightforward things like she's younger in the books, uh, which well, all the Stark kids are about two years younger. Some of the other characters are different in their ages, but you know, for example, the the, the Lannister twins are aged up a lot more than that. Uh, but just you know, that's that's a different topic. Um, what are some of the things that you think kind of stand out there uh, as differences? Mm. Or is that not something you've really noticed a lot of? It's not, I haven't noticed a lot of, but, and the, the one thing I think I might notice is just more because you get to hear what's going on in her mind, mm -hmm. but she seems, I don't want to say, I, I hesitate to use the word frantic, but, you know, in her mind, she seems more frantic. There seems to be a little bit more urgency to like, to get out. Mm. You know what I mean? In his show, she seems a little bit more composed, but I think it's because you can't hear the thoughts in her mind, she's standing there silently, but in her mind, she's like, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of here. In her book, you read, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of here soon. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, just the idea of being able to see inside her head gives, you know, that a whole different level of insight. And Sophie Turner's a fantastic actress, but of course, even though you can see the, the discomfort and, uh, you know, the way she's she's manipulating her face to, 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 to pull off these uh, difficult, complicated uh, emotions that would be playing off in her head, there's nothing like getting the, the text to show you exactly what those emotions are supposed to be. And on the other side, we have Arya. Um, have you noticed any substantial differences there, or is it also kind of similar? And I would say that she does, and the books come off a little bit more like a leader. Okay. Mm. More often that she's trying to organize Hophai or Gendry or whoever. She's, like, plotting these yeah, okay. plans to get out of uh, um, Hall. Um It seems like in the books... Or in the show, again, uh, these are nuanced differences, not like it is this way here and that way and the other. It's a little more on one side or the other, but in, in, the, in the show, it seems like she has a little less control over what's going on around her. She's yeah. kind of getting hustled into these different scenarios mm -hmm. and luckily getting out of it, whereas in the book, she kind of takes these bold moves to... to in charge of getting out of there. Yeah, that's you know? a good point. That's very astute. Yeah, and also, I guess you could say that she's a more of a of a moral leader in the books too. Like you see some of that in the show. Towards the end, they were trying to show like she's very adamant about certain things and doesn't compromise on certain issues, but she's also kind of brutish about it. You know, like not if I cut their heads off. You know, things yeah. like that. Like eh, what? Like that was a little awkward. But this aria. For example, very early on in the story, she's like, why is, why are they, why do they kill Michael? Why is no one being punished for this? Like, this is unjust. She just, she just legitimately doesn't understand. Yeah. She's very disappointed because she had, she took um, more of these things about life to heart. She didn't kind of, like a, like a lot of adults have compromised, learned to compromise, mm -hmm. and the world is full of compromises. Mm -hmm. Arya is very uncompromising. And... I think that's an interesting aspect to her character, yes. and that lack of compromise is both helps push her towards where she's going. Uh, it makes her, you know, uh, the type of person that the faceless men would want to recruit, as well as um, making it difficult for her to exist in human society like a normal yeah. person. Because it's everyone we we all have to compromise you know but aria aria has difficulty with compromises she's things she see things more in black and white uh, pun intended uh, house of black and white right <laughs> that is another that's thing that's not the that first time that joke's been made 
this like the second time? At least, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, only the second. Another thing about youth, you know, when you're younger, you have this idea that uh, once I grow up, you're like, oh, life sucks so bad, but once I grow up, I wish I could be a grown up. You know, you have this idea that things will be easier. No, no, it's never easier <laughs> than when you're a kid. You get to have these naive ideas of uncompromising morals or whatever. Um, but you you find that usually when you grow up, you're taking on more responsibilities. You have faced more disappointments, maybe with your own decisions or the, the nature of the world around you. Um, I'll tell you another difference in a book. Did Arya go into those wolves and kill the crap out of those... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Fargo Holt, is that his name? Yeah, yeah. with uh, with the when dream? she becomes Nymeria, no, that yeah, really happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was uh, I was uncertain at first, and I got to the end. I was like, wait, I don't think that was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that was a pretty murderous little moment there. Yeah, Arya has quite a few. Uh, yeah, Arya is interesting. It's her her stubbornness. She, that's another thing about her. She's extremely stubborn, even with uh, her what she believes and. Yeah, she has a lot of dreams. All everyone's wolf dreams start in in the Clash of Kings. No one has wolf dreams in the first book. It's not necessarily if you if you're not like specifically keying into that, you don't necessarily notice. Bran starts to have the prophetic dreams. You know, right away he has the the coma dream. You know, when he's in uh, when he's unconscious after falling, and then at the end of the book, he and Rickon both have that dream of their father in the crypt. But the first wolf dreams start in Clash of Kings for all the characters who have them, and that's a lot of characters. You're not sure that Rob has them, but it's it's implied that he does. Maybe it's, that's why you need to keep a Stark in Winterfell. Maybe, oh. maybe mm -hmm. there's there is the mystical side of to this is kind of unanswerable. I, I haven't seen any great theories as to what happens when mm. the Starks aren't in Winterfell. Testing, but uh, it's an interesting idea, and you wonder where where that topic came from. Let's let's back up a little bit. We've been we were planning on talking about. The history of Starks and Winterfell and how some things compare to the end of Clash of Kings. Let's, Has let's, there been another moment when there were no Starks in Winterfell? There have been, certainly there's been there's there's bound to be a few that we're not aware of. But if ones that we are aware of, yes. And it's interesting if we if we start by going back just a little bit, we go back during Robert's Rebellion. It's not explicitly said in the books, but George R. R. Martin has revealed that Benjen was the Stark in Winterfell during Robert's Rebellion. Okay. And he took the black almost immediately on Ned's return for the end of the war, uh, partly because he had a son already. Rob had been born by then. So, and he was married to Catelyn, and you know, they were it seemed like that would be enough. So, and of course, there's just as an aside here, when they're deciding who's gonna go south, right? When they're talking about it, Ned and Catelyn are sort of debating who's gonna go south. It's like, yeah, Arya and Sansa will go south. Uh, one of Brand's one of the ones they argue over. Ned says yes, and Kat's like, no, he's she, he's too young. Um, of course, the plan is for Brand to go until he falls, but there's no thought to send Rob. That's not on the table for either of them. That's it's like no question. Rob will stay. He's the heir. He's the Stark. Going to stay in Winterfell, and Rickon, of course, is going to be there too. He's too young to go. Um, but so, just like, but before that, we don't have. Um, any certain examples minus just a couple. And they're all involving the Boltons, <laughs> just like this current one is. Before the North was united under the Starks. So this is a totally different era. This is a long time ago. This is you have to go that far back before we have a moment that we're sure of. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. a certain one. Yeah, so it, it might be that this time 
at the end of Clash of Kings. It's the first time there hasn't been a Stark in Winterfell in many generations. Uh, we we have no examples of of Starks away from Winterfell uh, being completely gone from Winterfell any other time. It's possible that there was no Stark in Winterfell at the beginning of Robert's Rebellion. Um, well, no, I guess Benjen would have been there too. It always Benjen would have always been around. Uh, but anyway, so there's yeah, there's there's I couldn't come up with any examples um, other than these historical ones that are really old. So it's possible they've had a really really long streak that was just now broken. Uh, and I suppose it would be the year 299, roughly, for the end of the Clash of Kings. So before yeah, before the North was united under the Starks, the Boltons were kings. They were called Red Kings, which you know they, why weren't they called Dread Kings? <laughs> <laughs> That's the Dread Fort. There's already a place called the Red Fort. So what were they called? <laughs> The, the Fort Kings, maybe they weren't, I don't think they were kings, actually. So one of these red kings, King Royce II, Royce, Roos, yeah, kind of similar. He managed to take and burn Winterfell, but clearly it was restored. Uh, then 300 years later, King Royce IV named Royce Red Arm for his love of barehanded torture. They said he would reach into people's bodies and pull out their entrails with his bare arms or bare hands. So. Is that a glove? I know, Is really. It's so unsanitary. Uh. That's just, Yeah, <laughs> really. That's just, he, all sorts of disease comes from that. <laughs> ah, just uh, just savages, I tell you. But of course, he, he clearly didn't eliminate the Starks for good either because, well, then they, they, they're still around. So in these times, since Winterfell didn't hold the entire north. It's it's a different scenario when, say, Ramsay wipes out Winterfell and the Boltons can kind of take over because, well, it's all the north is one united entity. So when the top spot is taken over, they kind of abscond with the whole thing. But back in these days, since the north wasn't fully united under the Starks, it's a different different kind of scenario where, let's say, there's some Starks who escape this Royce II and or Royce IV. They were able to flee from Winterfell, either from some tunnels. Maybe they hid in the crypt. <laughs> you never know. And uh, they would be able to go to some other kingdom to hide. And they could maybe even go to the south. But they could also just go next door, maybe, and hide with the Umbers. Well, that wouldn't be next door. But they could hide somewhere um, at Barriton, maybe, or maybe White Harbor. Well, there wouldn't have been a White Harbor back then. So they couldn't have hid there either. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's places I tell you, <laughs> maybe they could hide in the neck with the uh, with the Kranich men, things like that. How, how long would they have had to hide? Good question. You know, uh, clearly these Boltons weren't uh, either not were either not successful at finding the Starks, which is you know not too hard to understand. The North is vast, and we're talking about just a couple of people trying to hide. A lot of places to hide. But I would I would guess it's. Not super long, but we have no way of knowing. Uh, well, like Bran didn't go to some place; he's just hiding in the woods, basically. You yeah. Know? Like if they had to hide for a generation, they might need to be at some castle or whatever. But it's true, and it could be that long. It could be that long. You could. It, they might have had to wait out King Royce the Second slash King Royce the Fourth until he died, and maybe when this his son took over, it's a different guy in charge. They care about different things. Maybe they're just not as. This guy doesn't like to reach inside people's bodies and pull out entrails. <laughs> he just really likes chicken. And you're like, okay, this guy isn't so bad. You know, we can handle <laughs> this guy. He just really likes chicken. He's not a problem. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I picked chicken out of all the things there. <laughs> could have been broccoli. It could have been. 
I broccoli. Think, I well. think that sounds like a king that Sandor Clegane could get behind. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, maybe a distant relative. Looks like Ashea has got her microphone working now. Yay! There was much rejoicing. Clap, 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 clap. Uh, so, so there's a little Winterfell history for you. Now, interestingly, just like now, because the Boltons, you know, as, as bad as they are, there are certain things even they would not do. For example, even Ramsay didn't burn the godswood or the heart tree in the godswood. And clearly neither did King Royce nor uh, the second nor the fourth burn the godswood uh, slash the heart tree. It would not be as large as it is doesn't seem to have any evidence of having been burned in the past. And, of course, that's a religious thing. You don't generally destroy the religious symbol of the people you're trying to rule. That's not, hey, Stannis, take, take a lesson. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing he does in Davos' first chapter. But, hey, that's another story. Uh, and, of course, he also does want to burn the Winterfell heart tree. Uh, he doesn't get to. But, uh, anyway, again, that's another story. So that so even the Boltons wouldn't do that. So that's kind of an interesting thing uh, to to wonder if the heart tree, any sort of magic is in play in the heart tree. We've theorized that heart trees kind of remember genetics because of the looks of certain houses is kind of maintained over thousands of years, and maybe the heart tree is the reason for that. That's just a fun theory we have, but we don't really have an answer as to why there must always be a Stark in Winterfell. I think it's not necessarily a magical thing. It could be born out of some sort of magic, but I think it's just a... It's a good policy. Yeah, it's, it's a, a government to, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, the, the North has been relatively successful as a kingdom with Starks in charge. And so to me, it's like, well, if there's a Stark uh, sitting in Winterfell, then there can be peace. It's a good thing. The Starks are doing a good job. They're good stewards of the North. Uh, in fact... You'll probably get to it you, pretty soon. There's a chapter where Bran and and, uh, and his gang encounter a friendly northerner. And this northerner talks about how, you know, well, you could, you know, when a Stark is in Winterfell, a woman can walk, you know, naked from the wall to Winterfell and, you know, not nothing would happen to her. But now, you know, you got... You got flayed men, you know, hunting a certain uh, boy, you know, and they're like, mm. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I don't know who you are. He, he knows, but he's like, yeah. I don't know who you are. <laughs> so it show, and that that's a really good example of how the Starks are trusted and loved for keeping that peace and that people value that that stability. And it is you you put a limit on the amount of war or expansion or whatever there might be. Does that make sense? Like yeah. if, if the Starks were, or whatever leaders were constantly leaving their capital to go fight in some other land, right? They're, you're more likely to have this constant state of war. But if someone's got to stay home, like, all right, we're not going to war this time. I'm going to stay here, you know. If we're going to go to war, I got to convince my subjects to go to war for me, right? Then yeah. it might be harder to do if I'm not going myself. So, okay, let everyone just stay home and not go to war. You, it does seem like it would contribute to more stability. So there's a couple of people asking about the crypts and why maybe the Boltons wouldn't have destroyed the crypts if they were trying to take out, you know, Starks or try to reduce their, their rule. It's possible that they uh, didn't didn't know where it was. You know, that is a thing in Dance with Dragons. Minor spoiler here, There uh, there was people come to ask 
well, I won't even say who, which character, a character who is in Winterfell. They're trying to find the crypts and they ask this character. So it's not widely known where the crypts are. That could be an issue. On the other hand, if they really determined, there's no way they wouldn't find it. You know, if they were just like, we're not leaving until we find these crypts, they would find the crypts. It's only a matter of time before they'd find that entrance. So I guess they just didn't think it was that important. Um, maybe, just maybe, the ruining of one of the lower levels of the crypts is evidence of that. Possibly that, you know, because we know one of the levels has collapsed. It's, 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 it's been said that was due to a cave-in, but maybe this cave-in was caused by someone else or triggered by someone else. Um, you know, if, if someone were to go in and smash all the, the beams, the, the things holding the, the supports, holding the, the ceiling up and all that, you could, you could see that being collapsed. So maybe, just maybe, that one of those collapses was, was uh, laid at the feet of the Boltons. But that is um, a complete guess. You know, there's, no, there's no, nothing particular to suggest that. So I guess I just didn't care that much. It's just, you know, just a bunch of statues. <laughs> or maybe also they believe in the, uh, the same thing. Maybe there's superstition there. You, know, you don't yeah. want to unleash the, the spirits of those Starks. There could be some superstition involved, for sure. I, Bruce Bolton's superstition. You know, yeah, I guess the Boltons might be superstition. <laughs> <laughs> yep, everyone seems to be uh, in a world where... You know, you have overt magic like that, and it wasn't. It was only a few centuries before where they were sacrificing people to the trees. Yeah, I would even, probably believe in that. Even if they weren't <laughs> superstitious, they might be a little stitious. They might be a little stitious. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta be at least a little stitious. There's no such thing as being unstitious <laughs> in Western. That's just a made up word. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so basically, Bran. If since we're kind of on Bran right now. Basically, you know, you, you you mentioned briefly that Arya is kind of like a doing a D and D thing. Bran kind of is too. Uh, they have this kind of unspecified magical creature they're trying to find, the three eyed crow. They don't exactly even know where he is, but they had this dream about him. <laughs> even yeah. Jojen and Mira. That's something that uh, that isn't isn't made clear in the show. I don't think, unless I remember wrong, is that Jojen has the the dream as well. Uh, and that's what has a dream of the three-eyed crow. And Howland Reed sends Mira and Jojen to Winterfell after finding out about this dream. So he's this guy who knows things that he's got to come on screen sometime. Come on, man. Come on, Howland Reed. <laughs> We're howling for Howland. He's got answers, and we have questions. So it is, he doesn't just know about the, the tourney at Winterfell. He doesn't just know about the Isle of Faces. He doesn't just know about Lyanna's parentage and all that stuff. He also has some insight into magic and, and dreaming, and yeah, who knows? So that's cool. But that's another topic also. It's so easy to get sidetracked here, isn't it? <laughs> so Bran has to avoid everyone. He, and, and Rickon too. Like, that's kind of like a D&D &D thing. They split their party, because yeah. they're two different little adventures they're going on. Rickon we don't get to follow, because there's no POV with him. So we just kind of hear about that later. But Bran, yeah, he has to avoid everybody. He has to go beyond the wall. I'm kind of, I'm kind of doubting the, the the Starks that fled Winterfell after Royce the Second and Royce the Fourth went beyond the wall. But hey, that's a possibility too. That's an interesting place to hide, and that may, brings him into uh, the same realm as as John because at the same time that that Bran is trying to get beyond the wall, John has already gone beyond the wall and is having to pretend to be something he's not. He's He's not a wildling, but he has to pretend to be one. And that's really interesting because, like a lot, it's, it's less true for some of these other characters. Sansa doesn't want to keep pretending what she's doing. Arya 
you know, maybe she likes being a faceless person, but she'd rather be home. Uh, we don't know what Rickon wants. Uh, Rob, mm, he's being forced into a role a little early. But John is actually starts to like being a wildling, kind of. And it kind of sticks with him afterwards. Um, but let's let's stop on that for a minute, or talk about that for a minute. John, his journey into becoming a wildling and then leaving the wildlings and coming back is kind of difficult. That's kind of where you're at right now, right? No, you're, you're not quite, he's not fully he's, back yet. Yeah, he's just, he's pretty much just now joined the wildlings. Okay, right on. Really. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're right. I got that mixed up. Yeah, he's just now joining the wildlings, so he's just, he's thinking about his feelings for Egbert, which is a real conundrum for him because he's got this this whole thing that Maester Eamon talks about, the whole duty and love conundrum. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, that's that's the thing to struggle with. And he's, uh, maybe this is, this is what Benjamin was talking about. Right? No, you don't know what you're giving up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't care. I don't want to have any bastards. Blah, 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 blah. Well, let's remember that John was also drunk in that scene, that first, first chapter of his. He's drinking lots of wine. So so tell us what you, uh, let's let's talk about John. What do you think about uh, John joining the Wildlings and, and uh, his comparisons book to show and all that? <clears throat> it was more, I'm going to say this, uh, Surreal, mm. I guess. Okay. I don't know how to say it. Uh, it was surrounded by more violence, I think. Um, it it seemed to kind of like haphazard in in the in the show. Yeah, that Gret just runs off, and he just runs off chasing her, and suddenly he's surrounded. Yeah. Um, whereas, uh, and then and then after they were captured, kind of staged the fight, right? Yeah. Where here was. Um, the, fight, kind of, the stage fight is like right, right. right they were like kind of captured and surrounded, and and it happened right then and there. They tried to go through that um, mountain pass, and, and yeah, but the eagle had kind of yeah. outed them. Yeah, stupid eagle. Um, <laughs> or L. Mm. It was exciting. I will say there's there's lots of exciting moments uh, in in the books um, that aren't it, in the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Some of them are just it would have been too much of a too difficult to to make those scenes happen. You know. Yeah. And, and also sometimes I, I kind of like, hmm. a lot of times when I'm watching a movie or a show, I'm like, eh, rolling my eyes at some of the action. I did some in the books a little bit too. I'm like, I, I guess I'll just accept it. <laughs> Brian <laughs> caught up with the boat or whatever. It was an exciting scene on the river. But, uh, um, but yeah, it would have been hard to translate to the show. But uh, Yeah, like like Corrin in this fight, when Corrin and John fight in this book, Ghost is like grabbing Corrin's calf and like, how are they going to do that? How would they show that? Yeah. That'd be really difficult yeah. to, to show that visually. Um, it is uh, it is interesting that John is not not just that he's joining the wildlings or that things aren't going the way he thought, but kind of like you said, I, I haven't got to that yet. But it seems like he enjoys being with them. Um, it's it's so far the opposite. It's not just that he's not doing what he wanted or thought he was supposed to do. He's the opposite, like the farthest opposite, you know what I mean? And you could kind of say that for a lot of the other kids, too. Like, hey, Sansa, how about instead of marrying the prince, you become a prisoner? <laughs> it's like, like hmm, no, that'll never we, happen. Can we meet know? in like, the middle? Yeah. <laughs> Is there some sort of compromise? <laughs> hey, John, how about instead of joining the wall, you join the wild? Like, yeah, right, like that would ever happen. Isn't there a compromise yeah. in between these two extremes? Yeah. <laughs> you Which went right from joining the watch to joining the wildlings. It again makes me wonder if Martin like had that idea. How at what point he decided I'm gonna go the total opposite of where they think they're going. Not just not quite where they thought they were going, or it's yeah, I not guess as it's, nice as they thought. But 
I guess you're right. It's kind of like the whole, basically all of Clash of Kings, he's beyond the wall as a brother, uh, either part of a large group or then part of running. Yeah. And then in a Clash of Kings or in A Storm of Swords, he's, yeah, he's, he's joined the Wildlings uh, and is trying to get back, but has to exist there for quite a while until he has his opportunity to run. But then he doesn't want to run, but he does want to run. And yeah. It's a neat idea too that, um, I don't know, a challenge of leadership or organizations. I don't know how to say it exactly, but the idea that on one hand, you want people maybe to earn their position. Does that make sense? Like John shows up at the wall and he knows how to fight with a sword and maybe he's kind of spoiled and privileged, just kind of expects they're going to make him a ranger and he's going to be a lieutenant or whatever, you know? But everyone's like, we don't care. You haven't earned your place yet, you know? And on one hand, it kind of makes sense that you have to prove yourself. But on the other hand, on some level, like, look, we need someone who can freaking fight, you know? Like, it's they maybe they don't want to give him certain privilege, but they can't ignore that he is a good fighter. And right. he learns this lesson, like, look, you're a good fighter. You're a better fighter than these other guys because you were trained. You're a rich kid that got trained, and they didn't. It doesn't make you a better person. But he is still a better fighter. Look, man, if you need <laughs> someone to go fight, pick the guy that can fight. And the wildlings seemed a little bit more like, oh, he can fight. All right, good enough. Like, we don't care if he's rich or poor or how or why he was trained. If he can fight, he can fight, you know. Um, and that's something, that's kind of an attitude John respects more than this, like, you be here and be in this kind of, you know, he respects duty, but he sees the, the you know, he gets to see both extremes. And yeah. This is that compromise I was kind of talking about. Now I'm being more serious <laughs> before I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as we get back, as John gets back, that's going to be a struggle for him. He's got to keep in mind these things he learns. You know, it's the same kind of thing that Bran is faced with, the same kind of thing Sansa is faced with in the show, which is that they have these disparate populations that want different things from their ruler. And in some cases, these things put them in conflict, these two disparate populations. Like the North and the Wildlings have hated each other for a long, long, long time. And, well, it's only through the leverage of, brought by the, the undead army that allow, kind of forces them to allow to fight together rather than, you know, gives them some reason to, to be friendly. Um, other than that, though, it would be really difficult for something to bring them together, given thousands of years of uh, enmity like that. Kind of like the Boltons. <laughs> but uh, interesting question here from, um, who is this person? We have from Taff. Thanks for the question, Taff. It says, why are there no ancient Stark artifacts like bronze armor or a bronze sword? Even the Royces have some cooler artifacts. Well, interestingly, you know, we do, it is mentioned at the beginning of the story that there was a different sword named Ice that before the Valyrian steel version of ice, which is only about 400-ish years old. And, well, we don't, I'm not saying that the older version of ice was made of bronze, but if it's, if you go back far enough, it would have had to be. They certainly wouldn't have been able to make it out of uh, steel. Um, but as to why, I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe they just don't care about keeping artifacts. Maybe one of these other times that uh, the Winterfell was burned, they lost a lot of such items. They could have um, maybe there's a old, maybe the old bronze artifacts that the Starks would have had are sitting in the Dreadfort somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, ah, we looted your stuff a thousand years ago. We never gave that back. Y'all forgot about it. But, you know, a lot of these ancient houses don't seem to have artifacts. It's not, there's, George doesn't go quite as far with that as, as maybe other fantasy series might. Certainly there's some. There's certainly some examples of, of, of these artifacts and, and uh, heirlooms and things like that. 
but he's more concerned, I guess, with having these uh, super ancient houses than them having ancient stuff. Um, but I, yeah, it's I, I guess there's. Um, I can also imagine that they may be, you know, cannibalized for winter. You mm. know, they may like some something that seemed valuable, like in time of peace, some some piece of armor, some gold or whatever. Like our right, winners here, all right, melt it down, trade it for food. Mm. You know what I mean? It's possible. Yeah, they may have had to, some particularly bad long winter. They may have had to sell. Multiple bad them. long winters, right? Like, yeah, given all the winters that have been in all the thousands of years of the north, there could have been some particularly awful ones where even Winterfell ran out of cash. I could believe that. That's a good. That's a good guess. I like that a lot. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and uh, I mean, for example, even John um, in Dance with Dragons, very minor spoiler, he's looking for ways to to feed the watch in the coming winter. He's thinking ahead, like, well, what are we going to do? He's trying to think of how what Winterfell does, and one thing he does is borrows money, right? You know, so if uh, you could see that, you know, in a certain era, maybe there was no Iron Bank to borrow from, or maybe there was no way to, or the Iron Bank was like, no, <laughs> we're not yeah. loaning you money. Yeah, selling off, like that's what Daenerys and Viserys had to do when they were on the run. They had to sell their mother's crown, which to them was uh, a great shame, but it was that or... Uh, be homeless. It's kind of a funny, kind of a funny item to be able to. It's like, well, should we sell this extremely valuable bejeweled crown, or live on the street? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll also say, like earlier, thinking about how the Starks are staying in Winterfell rather than running off on you know expansion imperialistic missions or whatever. They might have pillaged and looted less stuff. Yeah. Right. Might have less need or, or tr might treasure less weapons and armor. You know what I mean? Yeah. They might be thinking more about how do we maintain our home rather than how do we equip ourselves to go off for war. And uh, and it does seem like more like the Starks to take care of their people as opposed to like the Greyjoys, Iron Islanders are more likely to have gone off and looted stuff from other people and to hoard it for themselves and not yeah. share it with their people. You know That makes sense, yeah. A uh, question from Sir William Moss, the sort of the mid-afternoon, about 3.30. He says, right, so you would think the early kings in the crypts would have bronze rather than iron swords. Now, that I'm not so sure about. Iron, you know, iron and... Let's, let's clarify the difference between some of these items. Iron swords aren't, you know, isn't the same as a steel sword. Uh, the iron swords don't have to be something they used in battle. It could be decorative... Um, if they believe, and of course the reasoning here would be that we're told at the beginning of the story that the others don't like iron. That knowledge isn't repeated, so maybe it's just a piece of old wisdom that's, that's less true than George originally intended. But that would, uh, they're, they're, the point being there's some kind of superstition or a real stition about <laughs> uh, the way iron works with some of these uh, spirits uh, and or the others. So it may not be that they wielded iron swords Back in the day, they may have preferred bronze, but they had the ability to make iron swords at the same time they made bronze swords. They just, uh, iron weapons aren't super effective. It's the, the, the super, the higher temperature that allows them to mix carbon into, into with iron that allows them to make steel. So that's a technology thing. But iron working existed in the time before the Andals. They just didn't have, uh, you know, you couldn't do a lot with it. You could make, um, you know, fences and shield bosses and things like that, but you, you couldn't make it super sharp like steel. Okay, let's see here. Let's move on a little bit. Um, so let's, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about, a little bit more about Arya. Um, like you said, 
bunch of young people, map, sword, horse, special coin even. She's got her food. Yeah, yeah. little little packages of food. And uh yeah, you wonder you you, you wonder uh you can imagine her when she's drops the coin on the ground to to fool that guard into reaching it. Like she has to make a roll whether he's fooled or not. You yeah. Know, up. <laughs> you know, if he rolls if you roll like a one through five here, he's not fooled and and you know and then you can't reach his neck to to stab him. So so let's yeah, let's talk about Arya for a minute. Um, what are some of your? Uh, you, you said that there's. What did you say a minute ago? You, there's like a little. She has more agency. Yeah. Here yeah. in in this story because you can see her taking steps to escape, and see her taking steps to make these th- the next things happen. And and you know making the decisions in her mind too. You know mm-hmm. like. <clears throat> yeah yeah like her thought processes and all that's a really big part of what makes the books as a medium. Uh, has, it's a huge advantage they have with the show is the thought processes. That's something that I just really love about the books that you can never really get that in any TV show for the most part. And of course, TV shows have their own advantages. There's, you can never get amazing facial facial acting or music. Music. And, well, yeah, there's there's there. Sometimes there's you can't great. get thought processes because you can get narration. Okay, good point. Um, yeah, you're right. It's not never. It's just harder to do. More difficult. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a little harder to pull off. Uh, so yeah, Arya. She's got um, who she has, which is Hot Pie. She has Gendry. Poor Lamy is killed um, pretty a while back. <laughs> and that's all fairly, there's some fairly similar arcs there in terms of who they have to encounter, who they have to deal with. Um, one major difference is Roose Bolton instead of Tywin. Um, what did you think of that? I mean, w- the Boltons are a big part of this episode because they're the ones who drive the Starks out of Winterfell each time. So I've, I've, we've, I've added a lot of notes about the Boltons and some about Theon as well. So how did that seem how did that strike you as a difference the difference uh, meaning theon i'm uh, not theon but tywin uh, tywin scenes with Arya were really good those were really well received. oh yeah definitely but i think Arya and Roose is pretty interesting too but for but it's different because tywin and Roose, they're both pretty creepy bad dudes very cruel but they're pretty different still in, in some pretty significant ways it for, for better or worse um the interactions from an entertainment perspective, I, I think that it was better on the show to have Arya interacting with uh, Tywin. Okay. I think that was more entertaining. Um, but one thing it does, especially at that point, I don't think that we knew as much about Tywin. We didn't know the story about the Reigns of Castamere yet. That's true. Right? That's a good point. And so... You know he's formidable. You know he's like a <laughs> bad dude, like really... like. But it's a little easier to look at him as like, like have respect for him. Mm. But really, he's this awful villain. It deserves <laughs> to die. A terrible, like he's just terrible, you know. Uh, so, uh, and that's another thing the show does a lot of times is people who, in certain ways, are awful, gain your admiration. You know, um, it's another difference too. Like I have way less. Theon does some awful stuff in the show. But I still found myself justifying him and his actions in the show. But in the book, I'm like, screw Theon. No, he's a rapist. You know what I mean? Like, no, I don't care, you know. Um, but um, but another thing that it does in the books is I think it's one reason I feel like Arya has more agency because she doesn't have that. It, it's not that Roos isn't like a powerful figure that she's interacting with, but he is less or i perceive him as being less formidable than tywin and of course i'm kind of clouded by the show but also there's less of that interaction period yeah does that make sense a, a lot a higher percentage of Arya in the show was interaction with tywin which makes her seem even more subservient than in the books a lot more of it's her on her own instigating this i have a little 
rebellion, if you will, and, sure. and so yeah. on. You know, so I think it uh, subbing out Tywin with Roose and a lower ratio of interaction of her with Roose than with Tywin is part of what's giving her more perceiving me me perceiving her as having more agency. So. Right on. And now, of course, there's other you know differences. Like we get uh, Arya as more of a vehicle for receiving news in the book because the show can be more overt with these things. For example, at the end of Arya's Clash of Kings arc is is right when uh, the the phrase find out that Rob has married Jane Westerly, even though that's not made explicit to the reader yet. Uh, and Roose sort of has this symbolic betrayal of the Starks by going hunting for wolves, and he has these wolf pups made into gloves <laughs> and it's kind of like happening right around the same time that Theon has fake killed Brandon Rickon and uh it's like oh well I guess Roose has realized that the Starks have made a big political blunder and he's starting to make a different different turnaround and everything just falls into his lap he's already got the Walders he gets he's got the big and little Walder uh, the twin, the, the two, not the twins, but the, the the cousins from the twins. That once Ramsay takes Winterfell, he captures them. So he has this thing to negotiate with mm -hmm. the, with uh, Walder Freyover. He's like, yeah, let's do this marriage deal. But by the way, I have your <laughs> your two uh, grandsons. Before you answer, there I have them very safe. <laughs> there, nothing could possibly go wrong with them. And uh, you'll see him even bring that up during the Red Wedding before things go bad. He's like, and, and blah, 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 the two. And like Catelyn notices, well, looks at Walder Frey, and he's like, his mouth gets a little, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> veiled threat, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to see how far back the Bolton scheming goes here. Uh, I, I guess you could say, I think it starts right around there. Like, Roos is always aware looking for an opportunity like this, but he didn't start to turn until this political blunder by Rob. So that's pretty neat. So let's, let's uh, maybe we can, uh, do you have anything more to say about Arya, uh, about her traipsing around the Riverlands, or should we move, we can move on to uh, Rob since we're kind of... We can move on. Cool. All right, so uh, Rob, Rob, Rob. Actually, let's do our uh, mid-roll break, and then we'll come back and talk about Rob. Uh, want to thank everybody again for coming. Uh, if you have been, hopefully, go ahead and last chance to send us an email to Westeros History Giveaway for a free ticket to Ball at the Wall in Nashville on October 26th. That's a Saturday. And uh, it's at Opryland, Gaylord Opryland. So by the time I finish reading the rest of our mid-roll announcements and things, we will I will turn over to Ashea here, and she will do a little bit of a drawing here. And we'll see who the lucky winner is. All right. Um, let me offer some thanks to a few of our other patrons who help make the show possible. We love y'all for the continuous support. It is vital. It is very generous. And it is why we are here. Thank you to Vorsaki, wielder of a Valyrian steel arak with a dragon bone hilt. Kohokoi, called Sunpiercer, wielder of a dragon bone bow. And Kokavo the Tamer, wielder of the wildfire whip Gehenna. Those are the history of Westeros blood riders. Also, thanks to the Queens of Love and Beauty. Uh, from the depths of Flea Bottom, Lord Ken of House Hammer is declared for Queen Carrie, Fire of the North, who recovered Dark Sister from beyond the wall, and a laurel of glory in the name of love to Bud of House Beresford, Knight of Tolkien and Arbiter of Scotch from Sandy the Dragon, Blood of Queen Daenerys, and Lady of Jameson. They've got their own little 
alcohol war in their house there. <laughs> I don't, I can't pick a side. They're both, uh, they're both good <laughs> drinks. Hmm. And also thank you to our History of Westeros sellsword captains. Uh, actually, no. Yeah, sellsword captains. I think that's right. Peter Blaze of the Emerald Isle, captain of the Weirwood Wanderers. How, long. how could you not do Northern Champions? Should I do? Oh, yeah. You know what? You're right. I should do Northern Champions. Well, Sorry, Peter sorry, Blaze. Sorry, Peter Blaze. I think I actually did them last time anyway. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure. Anyway, you're right. I should do Northern Champions. Ashea is correct. Good correction from Ashea there. Northern Champions, Jay Wilson, Winter's King, first off. Then Sir Stephen, the Hammer of the North. Winter's King, Lord of the First Men. Then Lady Air Ardross, Mother of Wolves, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Claymore, Manticore. Sir Brian the Returned is Knight of the Last House, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade, Red Song. Uh, Sir Kobe of House Stonesmith, words are deed, deed, when the words are, <laughs> words are, say. words are not, so words are not wind, words are muffled and garbled and <laughs> I can't say them properly. Sir Kobe of House Stonesmith, words are wind, deeds are stone. Lady Cat Jones of the Big Pond, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade, Ginger's Honor. Jake Snow, aka Jacob Ice Eyes, is the Bastard of the Last River. Lord Darren of House Rambler, the last hunt is ceaseless, is their motto. Lady Bobby of House Mitchell, Bullweir the Purple of Heavenly Mythhead House Taurus, and Gandalf the White, that's W-I-G-H-T, Lord of House Seamorn. Seamorn, yeah. Like dead things in the water. Oh, yeah, watch out. Um... I had something else to say, but I don't remember what I was going to say. I had something else really funny to say, but I guess I won't say it. it maybe it wasn't that funny after all. <laughs> uh, so we should do my uh, my council. Well, they're at the end. We'll do okay. that. That's the end. yeah. We'll get them. They'll get in there for sure. Hey, Sean, what are you drinking though? Oh yeah, I never asked uh, what Sean was drinking. This is just Coca Cola. What in Atlanta? That's that's just. I'm so disappointed in you for only drinking Coca-Cola. Nothing mixed with it. You didn't. No. I mean, ice is the only thing you put in there. Ice. That doesn't really count. That's not a mixer. Ice isn't a mixer. <laughs> oh boy, Sean, you're letting people down here with this plain beverage. Look, I'll, I'll make up for it next time. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, Ashea, do we have a winner? Um, I think we should. I think we should keep it drink. until the end. Okay. Shea says, keep going a little longer. So, y'all, you still have time. The, the, it's been extended a bit. You can still email Giveaway at gmail.com to get your free ticket to Ball at the Wall. Now, people shouldn't submit to that unless you're actually going to go to Ball at the Wall, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely, yeah. Well, let's, let's or get... unless you have a friend that could go, I guess. Yeah, okay, yeah. definitely, yeah. If you can, you, can, you can transfer the ticket, certainly. What's That's the fine. date for that again, by the way? October 26th. That's a Saturday. It's Halloween weekend, basically. Uh, Halloween falls on, I think, Thursday this, this year. But uh, So this is the closest Saturday to it. And yeah, we're looking forward to that. In we're gonna we're gonna see Sean like open his phone real quick and type out an email, see if he can win it. <laughs> what was the date? <laughs> yeah, Sean wants a free ticket. <laughs> I think they did actually offer me one, but I just not able to go. But yeah, really you're so humble I too. I, I really am pumped that the event is happening. I think it's such an awesome thing they put together. Yeah, good job by uh, Gina and team there for uh making this happen i hope it happens every year yeah that would be very nice you yeah. won't go ever though because you're a workaholic <laughs> <laughs> so uh also um sh shout out to y'all in the chat i appreciate y'all coming to i see a lot of good comments here i wish i could i've always I get a little bit of fomo not being able to uh 
see what everybody's saying at all times while I'm here talking. But I know uh, Mache is grabbing some of the best questions and other sounds like, like you're that. jealous of Bran not being <laughs> able to see what's going on at all times. <laughs> Whoa, that's a deep psychology we're getting into mm-hmm. here. Hard hitting, cutting. Speaking of hard hitting and cutting, let's get back to let's talk about Rob. So, yeah, like I said, Rob had just wed Jane off screen at the end of Clash of Kings. It's not really seen yet. Catelyn's going to find that out pretty soon. And um, that's when Roose is going to marry Fat Walda. And uh, he's got that trump card with the the hostages we just talked about. But um, what's your, we'll start off with some of your thoughts on book Rob versus show Rob. Obviously, Physically, they're very different. You know, that's uh, one thing that kind of stands out. Perhaps perhaps out of all the Starks, that's the biggest difference. Uh, Bran also is somewhat different from uh, Book to Show, but mostly it's just about his coloring. Book Rob is also, is not only has different coloring because he's supposed to be blue-eyed, red-haired, but he's supposed to be big. He's supposed to be stocky. Not necessarily really tall, but kind of a thick, Thicker, burly yeah. kind of kid. Uh, so, which, you know, I don't, I'm not complaining. I don't think it's a big deal, but... You know, one of the things we like to do when we talk book show comparisons is try to keep those versions straight because it's really easy to just imagine the show version of a character when you're reading the book or thinking about them. So we like which to... I definitely do. Oh yeah, <laughs> and some of them it's great. You don't have to worry about it because like you picture Maisie Williams or Arya, and you're not you're you're right there. Yeah, I mean, a lot fine. of them really similar <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah, it's totally fine. And some credit maybe to the show for creating them and for nailing the character in certain ways that you may be accepted even though other ways are different. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Like, a lot of these actors really did kind of... Like, I don't know that... Al, like, I don't think about what book Theon looks like a whole lot. He doesn't have a super distinct look, so Theon, Alfie Allen, is like, yeah, that's fine. Tyrion's I, one that I had Theon, a really... I just dis- want to say real quick, Theon, yeah. for example, it depends on how much you look at fan art. Or okay. not even fan art, art. Yeah. Like there's the board game art, card game art. There's just art in general, the art books. And if you've looked at it extensively, it influences things so immensely. You, would you say that you don't picture Alfie Allen? Or do you, no. You don't? No, do I don't Sean? picture oh, Alfie Allen. Allen. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's probably, there's probably a real... I look real, at more art than you guys do, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's probably a real split for some people for whether they saw the books or read the books before the show, um, whether they developed a distinct version of the character my obviously i read the books well before the show but even even because of that some of the characters have, have gotten into my head but others haven't like charles dance is a great great tywin but i do not picture charles dance when i read the books and i do not picture peter dinklage either even though they're very like seminal actors for their characters they really did a great job but oh. just I, Tyrion, a different version of Tyrion, which is burned in my head after 10 years of picturing yeah. Tyrion. it's just yeah. uh, it didn't that, that he, even Peter Dinklage couldn't overcome that. Often when I'm picturing characters, they're reduced to like one or two devi- defining images for them. Mm, okay. So like for Tywin, I just picture these big mutton chop whiskers, <laughs> bald head, but like yeah. everything else, like maybe a glint of green, but I'm not seeing his whole face. Are you picturing Charles Dance with giant mutton chops? No, no, no okay. I'm not. <laughs> but I, I, I'm like picture a silhouette where you mainly oh. see that, and the same with mm. Oberyn Martell, for example, where I'm seeing his his widow's peak and black mm. hair, you know, and yeah. lean 
features. It's it's I don't know. That's how I picture it. It's not like very exact. The eyes are the real thing for me because that's where there's a real distinctness. Like the the Lannisters are all supposed to have green eyes. Well, Tyrion has one green and one black. I think well, Tyrion yeah, it's green with like flecks of gold yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Which you know, I think they should have done the purple eyes for the Targaryens, but I don't mind that they didn't give green eyes to the Lannisters and all blue eyes to all the Tullys. That would have been a bit much. But it is kind of neat that they have that. I do like it in the books that we have that distinction. Um, so yeah, so Rob, like I picture, I try to picture Rob like the Storm of Swords cover, like the large trade paperback version where you can actually see him wearing his crown. He has long red hair and he's big and uh, looks a little older probably in that shot, but he's he's supposed to be. That's kind of, that's kind of the way... I, I think he's supposed to be depicted. He's supposed to look older than he is because he's having to be older than he is. He's yeah. having to take on a role of a king, which isn't something that a 14, 15-year-old is really supposed to do, even though he's pretty good at some aspects of it. But let's get your takes on Rob. Difference, book and Rob difference, and um, some of these other things. Like, yeah, of course, it's like a different, it's like different. Uh, you're you're going to be prepared to see a, a, a fairly significant difference in how the romance goes, a uh, different character and all that, but... Um, Rob gets a lot less screen time in the books. Yeah, you hear it's mo- he you hear about from Catelyn, yeah. POV, and uh, so uh, I, I I don't have as many opinions on him in the first place. Um, the I, I do remember reading descriptions of him, thinking, oh okay, you know that that's different than uh, yeah <laughs> my image of the books or the show. And um, I also think that I I do prefer. I, I, I buy a lot of the characters in the show more being a couple years older than they are in the books. And I, right I seem to remember reading one time that Martin said that he regretted making some of the characters as young as he did. Um, Partly because he ended up scrapping. He had originally planned to have a five-year gap between... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, at some point. He, it was a, it was, there were different points at which he had planned it, but the last time he had planned it was after Storm <laughs> of Swords. But then he, he got rid of that idea entirely. And certain parts of the narrative suffered a little bit because he had planned for those years to pass. But, um, I mean, he he did a great job of overcoming that uh, change of plans. But there are a few, yeah, you're right. The Stark yeah. Ages are, are one of those sort of, oops, I wish they were a little older. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder if he dragged things out a little more, not dragged them out, but extended certain things to just, just so more time would pass. So a character could be at least 16 instead yeah. of 14. You Probably know. the biggest problem was the dragons aging because they go from hatching to like, well, I guess they got to grow pretty fast, man. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> there's no five years for them to grow. Um, and at one point, George had said, well, if a 12-year-old has to take over the world, so be it. That was yeah. a quote. And yeah. Bran starts off at seven. Yep. <laughs> so. Let's see. Do some quick math. Seven plus five is 52. Two, no, wait, what's seven plus? <laughs> yeah, so 12 is, yeah, so you wonder if that's who he was referring to um, in retrospect. It fits pretty well. He didn't take over the world, but he sort of euphemistically, in a sense, he took over, sort of. To be fair, I mean, looking at Danny and her manifesto, so to speak, you could also argue that, you know, he just was being vague, just given, like, the idea of a teenager, yeah. you know, doing yeah. it. That's true. Which is not, I mean, we've obviously talked about different characters that he could be referring to there in general. But I will say it fits very much with what Danny was doing. It also is maybe we might think a little more strongly of Bran at this point than we would have a year ago. Yeah, uh, it's so much more for us to think about Bran-wise. Like, oh, we missed, wow, we missed a lot. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, anyway, I, I, I will say I... 
in general, have a kind of negative thoughts towards Raw by... And again, obviously, it's way more influenced by the show than the books. I've, I'm just now getting to the third book, whereas I've seen every episode of the show at least three times, you know. Um, so my thoughts on Rob are probably still going to adjust more from the books. And in the show, I started off liking him. You know, I think they did a good job of, like, having him assert himself and be right in certain moments, especially against other people who were older than him, even if maybe they should have been wiser, they didn't catch on to the idea that he's planting information yeah. with the Lannister cousin, not giving up information, and, and so on. So it's it, it made it a little extra disappointing when I want to be proud of him, when he like, uh, he can't stick to this promise that he made, and especially when all these other people are, and it's sort of like the root, you know, the the his honor is sort of the source of his authority. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? At least it should be. So many other characters' authority is coming from fear, right? Yes. But here's Rob, who's getting it from, I don't want to say this, but like correctness, from boldness, from from all these other more positive things, rather than... His from, enemies might be afraid of him, but his, his constituents are proud of him. They love him. They're not yeah. afraid of him. Right, right. They, and not just because he's a Stark. Like, they start off, okay, fine. Yeah, I guess he's Ned's son, so we respect him. But when he starts to do questionable things, they actually challenge him, but then he proves himself. I'm like, all right, awesome. And then he ruins himself. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of right at the beginning of Clash, or Storm, his first chapter where you don't know the first time through, well, you do if you've seen the show, but either way, you don't know it's a mistake. Uh, and then the book makes this less clear because you see Theon writing to warn Rob about what's going to happen and then changing his mind and burning yeah. the letter, which is not something that happens in the books. It's just Theon shows up to Pike and is like, hey, I came up with this idea. It's my idea. My idea. You know, he didn't give me this. It's my idea. Mm -hmm. And Balin's like, no. We're attacking them. <laughs> and Theon's like, oh, all right then. And you can see, like, Catelyn says, don't send Theon back to the Iron Islands. Then send someone else. Keep him as a hostage. And Rob's like, no. And he just kind of walks off. And he's like, no, I'm doing what I want. And it's like, oh. And it's, a, you know, the first time through, it's not clear what a huge mistake that is. But it's, it's a huge mistake. Yeah. And it's well, like, damn. I want to point out, by the way, it's more of a mistake being results oriented. It he might have been taking a gamble. I don't think right? it was no. I think it, I think it was a mistake. I mean, I'll, I'll hear you out, but I mean, Ned like, warned of not doing this. And yeah, and, and, I'm not necessarily saying it was correct or it was not a mistake, but it might not have been a pure, obvious, huge mistake. Yeah. Like if there's X percent that he gets the Iron Islanders on our side, it might be like Rob well, might not have gone through that calculation. He didn't consider you know I mean? that they would attack him. Right. Like, that's right. the alter one of the one of the possibilities. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, Rob still might have been making his mistake, but I'm just pointing out that like you know I, I don't know if you could roll a six sided die and on one you get a thousand dollars and on two through six you lose a hundred dollars. You're more likely to lose, but if you win you get a lot. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. So uh, Rob might not have. He didn't Those see the numbers. I might yeah. might not be accurate, and Rob might not have thought that through. But I'm just saying that there was some chance that he gets the Iron Islanders on his side. He might not have been. He didn't know Balon. Now maybe he should have listened to Caitlyn because she did know Balon. But and she he had didn't, better. So. She was like, "Well, better to keep him as a hostage if you want him on your side." You know, like, yeah. this will work better. Send someone else with the message yeah. and keep Theon. And yeah. But yeah, but I don't even think Catelyn even 
necessarily foresaw this possibility. Like, she, like <clears throat> she she knew there was a bad idea to let him go, but she didn't say she didn't say, well, they can just attack us. She didn't say anything. Right. Like that. She didn't give him a reason. Right. She said, no, don't do it. You know, they oftentimes. Well, she said you can't trust Balon Greyjoy. She, yeah. she didn't say why you can't trust. Him. I think she said you can't trust the Greyjoys. Eh, same difference. He's the it's one. It's a in little charge. different because well, he's Rob, still the one in charge. But if Rob trusts Theon. Well, she's saying you can't let Theon go because you can't trust the Greyjoy. So she's right. not including yeah. Theon. In yeah. That. But it is still like this kind of nuance of wording that we're having. They should have had. They should have had a better yeah. conversation before they make this yeah. huge decision. But I do want to point out other things that Rob did. If they hadn't worked out, we would look at it as mistakes. He did take mm -hmm. some chances that worked out. Yes, we don't look at this as mistakes true. being resorts or anything. They worked out. So we don't think. But they still might have. There might have been some times where if you roll a one, he gets 100. And if he rolls two through six, he loses 500. He just happened to roll a one, so it looks like he's awesome. But he might have actually made some mistakes in some of the places that turned out to be mistakes or victories, you know. Right on. Uh, Laura Brandos, Lady of Infinity, Laura Boros, uh, says, I wish the cat had explicitly told Rob word for word what Ned's final words to her were about Theon. And I don't remember Ned's final words exactly, but it was something along these lines, like, don't, you know, like, keep Theon close, like, like he was more, he was even more concerned about the Iron Islands when all this stuff started happening because he does know Balon. He was like, oh, in all this chaos of of uncertainty, that's when they'll make their move because yeah. that's what they did last time. That is what like when after after Balon's play was when he launched his rebellion, you know, ten years prior to the start of the books, he was like, oh, they're not gonna they're not gonna support this new king. He he thought there was too much uncertainty, too much instability. He was wrong. Um, you know, but it's the another... same kind of scenario. It's the same kind of thing he was waiting for. And Ned's like, this is that same kind of thing that Balon's waiting for. So hold tight to Theon. It's another yeah. example of what I, it first bothered me in a show, but I realized, no, it's just part of his character, of, of John, is that so many times he, I don't know, figures something out, makes a decision, like in his own mind. He's like, yeah. this is what we have to do. And then just goes and tells everyone. He doesn't make plans. He doesn't consider <laughs> counter arguments. He doesn't, you know, let someone, close advisors know up front. He just makes this big announcement. And he just doesn't communicate it well. I think it's often a mistake of the leader characters, maybe in the world in general, but certainly in, in a Game of Thrones or, the, you know, this story, that they don't communicate the reasons behind their decisions, you know? Yeah, like and, like the Stone Mill thing with yeah. Robin Edmure. For, that's like a classic exactly. example. Exactly, yeah. yes. There's time and time again... A leader has this plan in his mind, makes this decision, doesn't explain to people why he's making a decision. Then someone else goes against the plan in a way that seems correct, but then turns out to be wrong because they didn't really understand the whole plan. And yeah, I feel it happens like, at the wall too. Yeah, yeah. John, John has that same issue with communication, not yeah. uh, not being explicit with his orders, not explaining all his thinking, especially when he's doing something a little bit radical. It's like, well, you really need to explain this. It's so outside of the ordinary realm. And a lot of times it's thought of as a, a, a virtuous characteristic, you know, stoicism. You know, a lot of times the, the silent, strong type or whatever. I know when I was a kid, I thought I kind of looked up to that. And a, a lot of times, like, the, the silent bad boy character is sexy to the women and so on, you know. <laughs> but, but usually those people screw things up. Usually they, they communicate it a little bit more, things would be better off. Everyone I mean, would be happier. You know? To be fair, we all do that. Yes, all yes, three yeah. of us yeah. do that. I don't. <laughs> but no, I'm just uh, I, yeah, yeah I, I also tend to think that if we saw John learn to communicate better, then it's a, an arc. Right, it's I agree. a progression, yeah. yes. and whether we see that or continue to see that, and we see it for different characters. 
remains to be seen, but they're all really young. Yeah. Really young. Yeah. yeah, like Rob and, and uh, you know, doesn't get another chance. For example, he doesn't get to learn from his mistakes, really. But no, but it, but I see what you're saying, Shea, I think, but I do think it's fair to also say that when you're in that position of extreme leadership, which we're not, you, you have more responsibility to explain your actions. Um, you know, I don't have I mean, an army you, of thousands looking up to me. Yeah, but you, you run a household. True. You, you don't always explain your actions, but maybe if you did, other people would understand better. That's true. Yeah, just, absolutely. You're it's right. It's not as important, though, than people right, like people are going to die if I explain my actions. Yeah, it's not properly. as important for you to do it. But regardless, it's easier to say we should do it. Yeah. yeah. That's true. No, you're right. Like, I think there's, there's not, there probably isn't a single person here that's listening or on our side of the camera that hasn't, that hasn't made that mistake many times in life, not explaining something thoroughly enough, not, not explaining it just kind of maybe because we assume too much or we think that other people just kind of get it. And, uh, it's taking things for granted, I guess. You can yeah. Call it. yeah. And also I want to point out that you can see why Rob and John might do this because Ned did it too, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, Ned was, yeah, that's true. Ned, uh, never, for example, never explained the John thing to Catelyn. Um, he promised, you know, maybe it's because he's, he's took his promise that seriously. That's still, I mean, he was weighing one thing against the other, the, the, you know, the, his promise, the sanctity of that promise and, and whether he had any wiggle room or, uh, you know, his marriage and telling his wife everything. Uh, so he had to weigh those things. It's kind of like the, um, to a lesser extent. A more dramatic version of this is is the concept that Jamie and other knights and uh, and people like Eamon have brought up the duality of of oaths and the con- conflict that comes within sometimes uh, like like Jamie tells Brienne that hey if I don't kill Ares I've broken my vow to the common people to, pr- to defend the weak you know and you know, like conflict, conflicting vows everyone calls me the Kingslayer for what was probably my greatest act and. Uh, that comes up in other places, you know, um, for example, uh, with, um, with Ned, um, his duty to his, just like what we just said, it's the same example, Ned with his duty to his wife slash his duty to John and his sister, meaning Leon and not John's sister. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, it's a really interesting kind of theme all throughout A Song of Ice and Fire is this duty versus love and, and mercy versus, uh versus fear and all these things. Torn loyalties. Yeah. Like how you, you have Secret, to... Secrets versus openness. Yeah. Secrets versus... Yeah. Se- whether it's better to have it in the open, whether it's better to tell people, or whether um, the, the secret is better kept under wraps or not. Yeah. It's, these are co- constant common themes throughout A Song of Ice and When I first started watching the show, when I was trying to tell everyone else what a great show it was, I, I would that was one of my selling points. It's like, what do you do if you're a knight and the king tells you to do one thing and the prince tells you to do a different thing? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> which one are you supposed to do? So. Which vow matters more to you? And, um, you know, how do you... And some of these characters seem to have no trouble picking one vow over the other. And some of us in the real world, you know, if we're faced like, I don't think it would be that easy. <laughs> but some people, for some people it is. They just know, they just make the decision easy. Um, but most of the characters we see inside their heads they aren't they aren't the type to make these decisions easily we have characters who are who are thoughtful and who kind of there are some exceptions like victorian who <laughs> would be like yeah fight you know doesn't care about o's as much as, as, as other things like that um sean's like who 
<laughs> yeah. I'm no, aware. he knows who he is, <laughs> but he actually he has no real <laughs> ability to relate to that because yeah. having not read his POV. You'll get to Victorian. He's a good example of a brute. <laughs> Don't think you're going to love his chapters. He's interesting, but not because he's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> his chapters have that potential, though. But that's pretty far afield from what we're talking about here. Um, let's see. So we've talked a bit about Sansa. We've talked a bit about Arya and Bran. Let's talk about a little bit about Rick and Bran. And Rick and have some things in common, of course, with their arcs. But you I know, Bran's the one we talked the least about. We talked more. Okay. John, yeah, I guess Bob. you're right. Yeah. We've kind of been off and on about Bran. He's. It's interesting too. He's the last to leave Winterfell. So he's. There were there were Starks in Winterfell with him and Rickon until they had to flee because well it was no longer safe. They didn't have didn't have food. And the castle was destroyed. All that. And it's interesting, I suppose, that one of the clues that we all maybe didn't give enough weight to uh, as to him being a king eventually was all the time he spends down there with, with them. The kings, with yeah. The kings, yeah. In the darkness, it's like this is where he's going eventually. Only, you know, it's, it's mentioned a few times that there's only a few exceptions to the statues in the crypts being non-king slash lords. And... Uh, yeah, of course, be, it's a little bit of a misdirect because you would think some people would have been like, oh, Bran's going to be king in the north. Obviously, like the other kings of in the north, kings of winter. No, he's just going to be a, a king. Just the yeah, king. Yeah. yeah. So he, he won't, you know, I, I well, I guess the question is whether what's going to happen to Bran's body when he dies? How long will he live? <laughs> All of these things in the show. It's vastly different because he's not part of the tree. Yeah, and we, we wonder if he's going to leave the tree in the in the books. Yeah. I think he probably will. But and if he leaves the, day... the tree, then he dies like a no. He lives a normal life and dies. And does he go to the crypts? Mm, I would I would think so. What did they do with the bodies of the Targaryen kings? Burn them. Burn. Yeah, they do burning. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of a weird sort of backwards tradition that the only house we know of that does these crypt burials is the Starks. And they're the ones you would think would be more most likely to burn the bodies because in the north and it's yeah <laughs> most of the actually most of the regions we just don't know what they do we don't know whether they do ground burials or uh, like well we know about the riverlands yeah well we know what the Tullys do yeah you're right all of them do. yeah like, yeah the, the Tullys do these these boat burials whereas yeah. the Blackwoods do some burials around their giant weirwood tree and they're in the riverlands but not all of them uh, and. So there's, a, there's apparently a wide variety of burial traditions throughout Westeros, but it's a little funny that the one example we have of, of crypts is in the place, <laughs> place where, where you don't really want to preserve these bodies. You really don't give them that. Don't did, give them that ammunition. Did they still <laughs> honor Ares's body with the burning, or did they like dump him in the water? Or I don't know. Actually, I, I'm not sure question. how they would have honored it. Um, certainly, like the Faith of the Seven, they have the whole you know being prepared by the Silent Sisters. So it might be enough of an affront for him to be prepared as an and killed, I don't know, and displayed normally versus just burned as a Targaryen. I would have left him just like on the floor. In the <laughs> just decomposing? Just decomposing, there, yeah. flies buzzing around just to remind everyone. <laughs> mm. That's funny. Yeah, I don't actually. That's a detail we're not given. We're not told what, what Robert ordered done with the bodies. Maybe, uh, maybe nothing at all. Georgia, for listening. Work that into the next book. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Brad a little more then. Um, so his he's got a also sort of his identity interest questions are sort of interesting in their own way. 
all characters have these identity issues. For him, he has to at least pretend he's somebody else until he gets beyond the wall, and then he's just becoming something else. Yeah, uh, I mean, he already had, before leaving Winterfell, he already sort of became something that's else. That's true, by losing his, face yeah, you're right. You know, like his idea of being a knight, you know, that was something he was struggling with. You know what yeah, I mean? that's true. Yeah, he uh, wanted that, he wanted that badly, and it's interesting that the way that George wrote this foreshadowing, he's obsessed with, not obsessed, but one of the first thing Bran thinks about is how much he's fascinated by the Kingsguard. And uh, that's a kind of a sneaky thing to attach to him. That mm-hmm. one day he'll have his own king's guard. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. He won't be one of them, but he will have his own. Right. Very nice. Um, so he has with him Mira and, and Jojen and Summer, of course. And the wolf, Summer, the, the name of the wolf is, of course, an interesting way to think about his role in the story and how he's the he takes over after Winter is defeated. It's kind of a neat way to think about it. And, of course, he has Hodor. Now, Hodor is, of course, another part of his identity because he, over time, as you see in the show, and you'll get your version of this in the books, he does more and more uh, being Hodor. And that's sort of like being somebody else. and it's But it's also a, a strong ethical conundrum, whether, I mean, it's not even really a conundrum. It's wrong <laughs> to do this. I think we could say it's wrong to take over someone's brain. Even, even you know, it doesn't matter that Hodor is, is handicapped. I it's still say, wrong. <laughs> being Hodor sounds like the feel-good hit of the summer. <laughs> <laughs> being Hodor, yeah. <laughs> you seen those things where they re-edit previews? They, like, change the music to make the horror movie look like a comedy or vice versa? That being <laughs> make it real happy sounding. Like, it needs to have like '80s sitcom music, you know, yeah. like triumphing, happy triumph music. I have to say, Laura Brando said, "Fun fact: Isaac Hempstead Wright is currently going back to university to study neuroscience." Really? Yeah. How perfect is that? Very, very perfect. Wow. <laughs> He's got a. He's like, ah, this has opened my eyes to all the possibilities of neuroscience. <laughs> wow, he must be a pretty smart kid studying neuroscience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, he wears glasses, oh. so we know he's smart. <laughs> and he and he knows everything in the Werewood Net. So <laughs> yeah, he could probably teach them a few things. <laughs> so, what are some of your thoughts on Bran at this point, and some like book to show differences? Um. I, I detect fewer differences. Hmm. I, I okay. feel like uh, from the book to show, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, I guess a part of that is because a lot of what's going on with Bran in the show is still kind of in his mind. You know, there's a little bit less of him, like, you see harder le- for him yeah. to go take physical actions. You know what I mean? It's uh, You see less of his internal struggle, his sorrow at, at being left out, not being able to do the things that the other kids are doing, things like that. Yeah, that's true, and and of course, like the the Frey boys aren't even in the show at all. Right, right. Um, that's that's in particular because that's one of the things he gets jealous about is Rickon becomes friends with them and they're running around doing all the stuff, and yeah. he's just like, dang it, you know, I want to be out there, and it's making him bitter, understandably. It was uh, also just a, a strong reminder of the. I I immediately when all the kind of I don't know. Backlash, I guess, against the idea of Bran being king. I, my immediate thought was like, Bran's the only person we saw actually being pruned for this position. Like, ostensibly <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rob was, 
We didn't see that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We saw Mr. Lewin sitting there with him going over all the house words. We saw him sitting up there having people come in, making decisions, you know, getting actual advice from uh, other people on how to be, how to actually fill this role, you know. So We also saw him having to, you know, live on the lamb and not live a life of privilege for a while. Yeah, that's which true. Which I think is important for a good king to experience what it's like to not just live in your castle happy as can be. Yeah, yeah he knows what it's like to starve. He knows what it's like to be chased, to be to be cold and hungry and all that. I um, guess you get that from Arya maybe more than anyone. But, yeah, they, but you yeah. do get a good bit of that from John. And mm-hmm. um, Arya experiences these things. You're right, I think, because Arya has a lot of the same. Maybe she doesn't experience the extreme cold like Bran does, but whatever. That's a small detail. She still she experiences more of it alone, or at least with just yeah. one other person, like when she's with. She definitely Sandor. experiences hunger, though. Oh yeah, she does. You're right, no doubt. Probably more than Bran, I think. Maybe, quite possibly. Bran has some some. There's some rough times up there. Um, but yeah, they both I haven't got to a lot of it, I suppose. He's just now leaving. Yeah, he hasn't gotten beyond the wall yet. That's when it gets worse for sure. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so that's that's a, a, a distinct similarity that they have there is that they, you know, like someone like Sansa is well fed, but that doesn't mean she's not struggling in other ways. She's constantly she she's wants to be running away. Like she, the yeah. people that she's w- would be running away from are constantly around her at all times. She would d- dream of having hunger as her dilemma. She would much rather <laughs> yeah. be hungry than, you know, beaten. Yeah. Um, and put on display too. That's another factor too. You know, you know, like, I'm sure you could have stats and surveys can be twisted, but, but I, I, but I bet this rings true. Anyone listening, most anyone listening, Top fear, surveys taken of people's top fears, of course, is death. Yeah. Second, number two, public speaking. Sometimes public right? speaking is more scary. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be different for different people, of yeah. course. But the point is, Sansa's constantly like put on display in front of people. And, yeah. this, and, and, and not in a position where she can, like it might be different if she could speak her mind, you know what I mean? Or if she actually had some authority like Rob on display in front of people. It's different from Sansa on display in front of other people. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, you know, it's... Uh, like something like, imagine Arya trying to, like, speak to the ladies who were afraid of the battle. Like, that's not... It's hard yeah. that she's miscast in that role. Just, like, Sansa, imagine Sansa trying to, you know, stand on one foot and catch cats. That doesn't... Yeah. Know, I mean, she might be good at it. I don't know. But it doesn't... doesn't it's not what you picture when you think of her. <laughs> to be fair, Arya wouldn't be good at it, but I don't think she'd be afraid of it. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't think she would be afraid of it. That's a good point. She might be... She might need to be afraid of it. She maybe should be afraid of it. She, she would she, think it's stupid, just like Sansa would think it's stupid to stand on one leg and catch, mm. catch a cat. Um, but or Sansa she might also be good at standing on one leg and catch a cat. I'm not sure. She might be afraid but, of it, but she knows how to deal with her fear. You know, she yeah. might, you know what I mean? Like she would handle it one way or the other. That's a good take, yeah. Um, and something they all have in common, because they all have to do these, they all are have to pretend to either be something they're not, or be something that they weren't ready for, like in Rob's case, like he's too young for this, even though he was bred and raised to be a lord and in charge. Well, a king is a lot, you know, something Donald Noy, and not Donald Noy, sorry, Gior Mormont points out to John. He's like, he's like, you know, you're gonna have to live with this. You know, Rob's gonna be served, you know, like golden his drinks and golden chalices while you're drinking, you know, crappy water out of a wooden cup and he's like you know you're okay. he's like oh he was always raised to be a lord he's like the king is not a lord 
this is even this is even different you know this yeah. is even bigger than that you know you have to you can't sit here and tell me you're not troubled by that that you have to do all this while he gets to be treated like a king and he's like what are you going to do and john's like i'll keep my vows and be troubled <laughs> you know it's like i'll be troubled but i'll keep my vows and um well <laughs> I don't know. Did he? He didn't end up keeping his vows really <laughs> on the issue of Rob. He did, but later, yeah. <laughs> not so much. He, he was troubled and didn't keep his vows. And of course, the question of will his vows hold when he's dead? That's a whole nother ball of wax. We'll get to that some other time. So, um, so anyway, Bran. Bran, yeah, that was all about <laughs> Bran. Yeah, it's very Bran like that conversation. The yeah, so he he has less of this pretending because he doesn't interact with people. He's like specifically trying to avoid as many everybody, and yeah. it's this wide open north. And they and they and they are mostly successful at that. They don't have to encounter a lot of people, but still facing identity issues. Yes, because he's becoming this this magical being, and he's clearly been given this destiny that seven year olds aren't generally prepared for, let alone adults are prepared for this. And uh, but on, on another hand, another way, he, it makes him more prepared for it because he, there's less there's certain things he's not aware he's not aware he doesn't know to be afraid of certain things you know like na the naivety almost protects him from some of the worst fears like he doesn't he's not even aware of like how bad things are beyond the wall he doesn't know like how many wildling raiders there are what they would do to him if they caught him you know he's just it's just almost like um a happy uh, piece of of ignorance but of course that just allows him to focus on the, the the overwhelming oh my god i'm i have magical powers mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, the, and the end of the world is coming <laughs> quite a thing got to focus on um so what do you think about uh what do you think about bran um the difference with bran and uh jojen and mira did you notice any differences with jojen and mira or is maybe it's not too far along with, with for them to notice much difference yeah, I think it's not too far along yet. It's at the point where both in the in the show they hadn't even come along yet, right? They didn't. Wish I could remember a little bit better, but he didn't encounter them until after he had left. Uh, That's right. You're right. Wonderfell uh, is burned, and then he encounters them. You're yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's like, yeah, it's like, who, ooh, who are these mysterious people in yeah. the show? Yeah, they, Osha and Mira have their little showdown, and mm -hmm. which yeah. keeps continues afterwards. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> Which they also don't get along well in the books. Uh, oh, they don't not but, get along. They're slightly competitive, but it's, but but it's, it's not quite. A, they're not quite as at odds with each yeah, other. Yeah, they never really argue. I don't think. I don't think they ever actually have any fights. They split up pretty quickly. Um, and uh, of course, we don't see what happens with Rickon. We find out much later. That's another part of the reason we, we wanted to talk a little bit about Theon in here is that uh, the Theon connection includes how Rickon is later discovered. But that's not really. We'll talk about that some other time when you're farther along. But yeah, with um, so with Bran, he has to avoid all these things. He has to, uh, you know, keep quiet and not let the not let not be found by these Boltons who are out hunting him. Because if we go back to our history, think about this: when the, it's not it's not necessary that the that Royce the second and Royce the fourth needed to kill all the Starks. Maybe they didn't need to kill all the Starks because it's not, this, the North wasn't united. Maybe just they think ah, destroy Winterfell, and our kingdom will flourish, and eventually, you know, over time, we'll take some of this land. Maybe they didn't see it as important to make sure there were no more Starks because, well, this was thousands of years ago and the Starks weren't established. Details get lost in history, too. The oh, big yeah. picture becomes more important. Like if you flash forward hundreds of years, it, it might be 
hardly known that in the, the, the idea that Theon was looking for the Stark boys might just be lost in the history of things, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, and of course, it could be, you know, like a Bale the Bard story where the, the new Stark was, uh, you know, only had, you know, had only some Stark blood or was, uh, you know, someone was a distant cousin. You know, there's always, there's always like a, that, that's a common refrain amongst these ancient houses, which is the only way for it to make sense that they could be, you could have these families last for thousands of years without them dying out, you know, uh, is to have, well, you, you bring someone in that's a cousin and they become the Stark in Winterfell and uh, it goes from there. I suppose it is a little more likely for the Stark history to survive since Bran is king and knows the story. You know what I mean? That's true. Whereas you, you can imagine like certain histories, that if not for that, it might be lost that Theon ever even took it. It might be just the Boltons took Winterfell. Yeah. Or that the, the Boltons ever took Theon. it, just the, 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 the Greyjoys took it and then the Starks got it back. You know, the, some of the details that happened over a few months time period might be lost hundreds of years later. Just the big picture matters. But because Bran is the king, it's more likely to get that actual history preserved better. In this case, the Boltons restored Winterfell on their own because they needed it to hold the North. Yeah. In the past, that wouldn't have necessarily been true. They may still have wanted the castle. They may have restored it to keep it for themselves. And then maybe that's the scenario in which the Starks reclaimed it. But um, uh, maybe perhaps it's more likely that the Starks just got help from a friendly kingdom or they were just able to take it back and, and hold the spot while they rebuilt it. There's a lot of possibilities and maybe one day we'll get more answers. Unfortunately for the books, Winterfell's library was burned um, very early on and whatever history might've been in there is gone. However, Castle Black has a substantial library with something that is almost a Chekhov's gun, maybe not. It's probably not quite at that level of a plot device that's kind of hanging over everything because it's a maybe. Um, it's not like, say, the horn, <laughs> which is like, that's got to do something. Or Nymeria in the Riverlands, that's got to do something. Uh, Chekhov's direwolves, as George called it. <laughs> but so maybe some of that information is in Castle Black. And, and the, the point being, maybe there's a lot of things in Castle Black. Sam, very early in A Clash of Kings, is looking for maps. And he's talking, he's just geeking out about it. He's telling John about all these things he found. He's like, oh, there's all these like descriptions of this and that. There's thousands of books down there. It would take years and years to go through it all. And John is just not interested. He's like, they had over a hundred books at Winterfell. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, and I'm like, he's like waving it up. Like, yeah, but did you find the maps? And he's like, yeah, but, but they found, he's like, blah, 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 giants and rangers trading with the children in the forest. And John's like, Oh, it's so boring, man. Shut up. <laughs> like, no, John, you shut up. Let Sam talk. Tell us this cool history stuff. And so you wonder if those, these books will come into play more. They have, um, some of them get taken to the Citadel by when Eamon and John, or and Sam go south. So hopefully not too many. But yeah, I hope those books come into play more. We have that opportunity. George has left that open for us, maybe. But maybe he'll just have Castle Black just destroyed completely. <laughs> I remember as a kid, whenever I, whenever when reading a book, someone would read the book. I was like, I want to read the book in the book. You know, I was so enthralled <laughs> by that idea. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, let's uh, start to wrap things up here. Um, we still Real have. Quick, can I point out as part of that? Oh yeah, of course. Shirt that I have that I actually, you guys got to talk about your experiences at the con. One of mine was meeting Nickelodeon Walmart Costco. Well, move move your microphone a little bit. Angle. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to <laughs> show the shirt off if I couldn't hear me there. <laughs> they, they, they could hear you, but. Okay. 
Anyway, I thought this was such an awesome, like, you really have to know Game of Thrones to, to recognize get this image. That. And even yeah. if you do, you might have to look at it for a second. So, yeah. Jamie well, recognized Or Jamie. Yeah. Jamie. Yeah. Nikolai recognized <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Very cool. So, Shea, do we have, uh, can we do the drawing now? Uh, give me one second. Cool. I will continue to talk while you work on that. So thank you everybody for coming. Um, I wanted to say that if you guys have the Sean, like I said, this was this this idea for this stream was Sean's this topic suggestion. If you all have topic suggestions for our recurring Saturday live streams, we we don't really honestly don't need topic suggestions for most other things that we have going. We have a lot of topics, but for the Saturday live streams, that is something that we're open to suggestions for. So you can email us at uh, westrushhistory at gmail.com. And let us know. You can also do that on Twitter. You can uh, hit us at Westeros History or at Dancing Sean. Follow Sean on Twitter. I stole your thunder there. I said it for <laughs> you. <laughs> I know you're so disappointed. And uh, also thanks to um, Michael Klarfeld for the maps you see behind us. Thank you to Joey Townsend and Jesse Koal for the music. And also to Kevin McLeod for the Valoraritas music that we've been using on and off quite a bit. Thanks to Ashea for wearing so many hats and all these uh, live, doing some live uh, technical adjustments there to get your microphone working. That was cool seeing you work there behind uh, the scenes. Do you want your winner? You want your winner now? Yeah, let's have our winner for a free ticket to Ball at the Wall. First, October twenty sixth. I need to make it known that if you submitted, we got very few submissions. So go ahead um, and when we post on patreon you can submit there we will have another ticket to give away and we're gonna do it there and i just want to yeah make sure people know submit again That's you're right. you're very very likely to get it because That's right. yeah not a lot of people can go to this I mean, yeah it's it, yeah exactly and it's a month away so it's a small pool of people yeah we wouldn't we didn't expect to have a lot of entries but we want to make sure that some lucky person gets to go for free because um well we want to see you there and so out of our free tickets out of our few submissions laura brondo hey laura, all right some, yeah i mean we know our listeners in general so either of the people who submitted we would have known right on that's cool all right laura you're a winner very cool well we'll uh, we'll contact you with uh with that and how to uh, get you that ticket and all the details. I, I have another closing note, by the way, the Emmys mm -hmm. for this past week. Yeah. Game of Thrones won. Um, that's, I can imagine some people are like, well, they don't even deserve it. But some <laughs> people are like, yeah, go Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, but also, while I have the chance, I want to give a shout out to Fleabag. Anyone who hasn't <laughs> seen it? Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a Fleabag. Also did really well at the Emmys and deserved it. And also, hey, as we talk about It's Always Sunny a lot. It's Always Sunny was back this week. I'm wearing my It's Always Bloody and Winterfell shirt with the heads yeah. of the Starks and Perfect. the Sunny logo. Me meanwhile, Always Sunny has no Emmy nominations, no Emmy wins. <laughs> but by season 20, it'll happen. It'll happen. The gang is still desperately trying to win an award. Yeah, that, that'll be great. A perfect sequel. <laughs> okay, so time for some Patreon shout-outs and our outro music and such. Thank you all again for coming. We appreciate the live support. And if you ca are catching this afterwards, well, we appreciate that too. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. And we hope you tune in for Valar Reredus every Sunday at 3 Eastern, with a few exceptions on that start time. We are just now starting a Clash of Kings, and we're having a blast with it. So come join us or listen to the episodes afterwards. All right. Thank you to... 
Uh, we'll give a shout out to the dearly departed Lord Mark of House Joseph, the snow in Winterfell, writer Masla Cartho, the white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons. Our peers of the realm include the mysterious BR, Hand of the King, Lord Stephen Stark, titles, titles, Hand of Queen Ashea, who is known as the best, Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog is Warden of the West, Lord George Stormzill the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East, Kabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North, Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones in the Narrow Sea, commander of the Royal Fleet, consisting of the Narrow Fleet, led by the flagship Caraxes, and the Bloodstone Fleet, led by flagship Prince Damon. His ships were apparently contacted to try and hunt for Arya Stark as she crossed from Westeros to Essos, but um, they supposedly saw, but decided to let her pass anyway. Yeah, way to take the money and run, guys. Good job. <laughs> King Beyond the Wall, Sidney Jesse, the Fallborn. Lord of Blue Spring and the Haunted Forest wields a dagger of dragonglass and the Valyrian steel blade of red frost would never stoop to handing over Bran Stark to the others. No. He might take him himself for ransom, but you gotta ask him. Ransom from who? Good question. (laughs) Just not the others? (laughs) Yeah, ransom from the Boltons? No, he wouldn't give him over to the Boltons either. He's not that kind of king beyond the wall. He's more of the Mance Raider type. Lady Sarah Connolly the Willful is, says wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure. And she is Jenny's patron. Our White Walker patrons include Araya Flint of the Mountain Flints, captured by the Weeper, only to be raised in the Valley of the Milkwater. Blue eyes and golden memories. Alexander Greyblood is first of the first men, now crowned in ice, called Silencebringer, Woods Blinder, and the Snow of Night, wielder of the Iceforge Greatsword Pale Frost. Our small council includes Lord Daniel the Sneaky Russian, Master of Ships, Grand Maester Via James, Lord Benjamin of House Hornwood, Master of Laws, Lord Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Greenshield, Master of Coin, and Lord Johan is of House Orcos. He's called Shadowhawk, and he is a Master of Whispers. Lords and ladies in their, di- in their castles include Lady Diarliz of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron, Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell, Breaker of the Second Stone, Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort, Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass, Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Hills of, well, excuse me, the Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Donhold. Lord Bemmy Snugglebunny is Guardian Ranger of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood, dual wielder of the Valyrian Short Swords Glorious Morning and Little Light Wise, and sharpshooter of the Werewood and Ironwood Laminated Longbow, Todd Von Oben. He has really made me good at talking because that's practically yeah, I that. Yeah, I was honestly about to interrupt you just to give you a pat on the back for that <laughs> tongue twister. It's really good. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> the Bastion of the Wolf's Wood is first forester of the old gods, sworn to House Ironwood. Listen for the silence. Lady Lana Kelly of Wolf Island is protectress of the Steelhold. Casey Stark is of House Acres. Lady Kay of House Archer is Lady of Earthdog Hall, Huntress of the Wolfswood, and Guardian of Maddie Squirrelsbane, the Mighty Direweed. Lady Raywin of House Dillsdane is the Star Spear. Peter Rivers is the Pale Dragon and heir to Bloodraven. Lady Carolyn Carey of, How- of Castle Stone Sharp is whose house is whose house whose horse is shod in Valyrian steel. Lady Rider of the Rising Hills, and Lord Brendan Lannister is the Blood Lion, ruler of Castle Everrule. King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. You want to do your Queen's Eye Council? Sure, you know that pulled up. I, I have it pulled up, and I would like to. Go but ahead. first, but first, I'd like to 
think about the idea of a horse shod in Valyrian steel. It's kind of cool, right? Like, what, what, what does that do? I, I'm very curious <laughs> what what, what no. abilities that allows the horse to have, or if it's more of a statement about how damn rich you are. I think it's a little both, because, like, you know, the horse shows that they'd be a little lighter. The horse maybe would move a little faster. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, like, anyone who's ever... Like Extra sturdy on, like, climbing all sorts of things. Yeah. Maybe the tracks would be more distinct. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> change yeah. them less, more, less often. Anyways, I, that's what I was fancy. contemplating. <laughs> All right, the Queen's High Council. Bloody Ben Blackwood, Master of Whispers. Rebea Star Eyes, Lady of Waves and Mistress of Ships. Captain of the Iron Shadow Cat. In the shadows, we bear our claws. Catrin the Wise of House Trondheim, Master of Coin. Grand Maester M. Elizabeth, middle daughter of Lyanna Mormont, first lady to forge both the silver and Valyrian steel link. And Laura Boros, the Lady of Infinity, Master of Laws, and person who makes me look corrupt. <laughs> yes, sure. She won the free yeah, ticket. Master the, of the drawing. Laws. Yeah, never. <laughs> How did she win? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Our King's Guard is led by Lord Commander Miriam R., backed up by Sir Glennon of House Leanne, called Lion Cloak, longest tenured white sword. Sir Dean the White is Knight of the Black Star. Sir Jord of House Pepsi is the Beverage Knight. Gregor Snow, called Snowbear, is a Bastard of Winterfell. Sir Jan Seaworth is Knight of the Southern Snows. And Lisa is Water Witch of Dorne. House Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> this is Atlanta, home of Coke, Sean's Beverage of the Day. So we got a fight on our hands. The Beverage Knight is, is ready to fight, though. <laughs> He's always ready. Queensguard. Lord Captain Commander Hema Helmuth, the Sellsword Sentinel, Alexander of House Atreides, from the Seat of Dune, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. <laughs> Ser Rambo, Knight of House Ganon, First Blood. Ser Leon of House Walker, wielder of the twin Valyrian steel blades, Fire and Ice, and the Werewood Bow, Rain. Ember the Adamant, the Knight of the Mist, and Mother of Squids, the Wintry Wolverine. We finish what you begin. And Nora Neko, Nora Nico. Did you ask Aziz? How to say it? I'm not sure Nora Nico okay. or Nora Neko. Either way, those are two new members of the Queen's Guard. Right. Oh. And you guys don't want to know what happened to the last members. <laughs> it was a, a bloody attack. <laughs> and our beard guard that Sean will read. By the way, this uh, list of all our patrons. This yeah. is available for people to look at, right? Yeah, this you can go to historyofwesteros.com slash supporters to see ha this list. It's have a you list. never yeah. been to our website, Sean? Uh, well, <laughs> I have, of course, but... No, uh, I don't I don't believe you. I think you've <laughs> never been to our website. Uh, but I really just want to point out the artwork that Suzanne did here for yeah. House Beard and mm -hmm. Hand, Hand of the Beard. I love it so much. Um, so Lord Commander George the Golden, Sir Joshua Oakhart, the White Oak, Lady Rita of the Coppermane, the Unbound, Dance the fervor. Hi, Rita. Sir Joff, Warden of the AC, wielder of Triad, the multifaceted beard of platinum, red and brown. Stay frosty. And Sir Tim Corgile, mad boy of the Western Desert. Right on. Thank you to the Beard Guard, the Queen's Guard, the King's Guard, and all the other folks who support History of Westeros. Last but not least, the HOW Night's Watch which is led by Lord Commander Benjen Umber, the Silent Giant, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Greatsword, Winter's Kiss, and backed up by First Builder Magor Snow, a.k.a. Magor the Cool, the Fire in the Snow, and First Ranger Sir Source Delica of House Gramercy. That's it, everybody. Hope to see you all, like I said, for our Sunday Valor Aritas episodes. 
and for future Saturday live streams. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next time. Valar Viridis.